Are you or someone you know looking to work with a life coach? Then look no further. You found one. I am a certified life coach working in somatics, body work, um, which means that we tune into what the body is telling us in order to figure out what's going on for us. And just so many of us are not even tuned into our bodies to know what we need in order to move forward. Having a life coach was something that helped me move forward in my life, and I have been working with many people to help them do that same kind of work. If you're interested, check out my website at candisglass.com or go ahead and just send me an email at explore at candisglass.com. Hello and welcome to The Wisdom of Wandering and Wondering. I'm your host, Candice Glass. Today's conversation is with Esther Malanzi. Esther is a writer, a teacher, and a creative. Born in the U.S., Esther and I discuss growing up without her biological father and later traveling to Africa to meet the family she never knew. Currently living in Bali, Esther continues to learn and grow while enjoying the simplicity and beauty that this life has to offer. Hello, Esther. Hi, Candice. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for saying yes. I'm so um, grateful to talk with you today. It's morning where you are and evening where I am. And um, I just always find that kind of fascinating too, you know, like the time differences between places and that there's something morning going on in a whole nother part of the world as we're all like settling in. So um mm. So thank you. Would you please um, just like introduce yourself and tell everybody who you are? Of course. Um, my name is Esther Malanzi. Um, on social media, I go by SD Ubuntu. Um, Ubuntu is my South African name that I was given when I lived there in 2014. And I met half of my family. Um, and it means I am who I am because of who we all are. And I think that really is a part of my you know, the fabric of who I am in, in reality. So when my cousin gave me that name, it felt so potent and felt so right um, because I'm constantly shifting and changing as I meet different mentors and friends and, um, and as I go through different experiences. And so that's, that's pretty much who I am um, in a nutshell, but um, on a more like physical, tangible uh, side of things. I'm a writer, I'm an educator, I'm a coach. Um, I used to only kind of put one label on myself um, as like, I think the world really encourages us to niche or mm -hmm. to like, you know, find a solo identity. And I found um, over the last few years that I've really broken that open and I'm, I'm constantly finding out new things about myself and how I'm showing up in the world. So I'm still in transition, I think, as yeah. we all are. And um, yeah, that's me. I live in Bali, Indonesia with my husband and our cat. We've been here for about five years, which is the longest time I've lived in any place outside of the States. Um, and it's really fascinating. Maybe I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but yeah, um, but, uh, yeah I'm a traveler. Um, yeah, that's, that's me. Okay. <laughs> Wonderful. What I um, love what you, your name, say it again, Ubuntu? Ubuntu. Yeah. Ubuntu. Ubuntu. It's a, it's a South African word. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love the meaning of that, you know, because one, I just feel like it, it's a, it's a way of connecting, right? We are all kind of our individuals, but we can't be ourselves without the collective too, right? And how we interact with one another, but first how we, we understand ourselves so that we can interact with the rest of the world um, and those around us and finding where we may be fit in or what the things that we love and really just having that whole idea of um, a village around us, right? So you mentioned Bali and that you're living there. And I'm just wondering like how you got to Bali. Yeah, okay. So I guess the short answer is um, I got a job at the Green School, 
um, which is an international school that focuses on education for sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, but the long answer is kind of like, you know, I've been, I've been looking at that school since I was in grad school back in 2010. Okay. Um, and when the, like the Ted talk first came out. And so I kind of had like planted a seed back then when I was with my students, we were doing um, a study on education around the world and different types of educational systems and free schools kind of came up and green school. One of my students brought that to me and we watched the Ted talk and we talked about it. And, you know, I said, then I was like, I would love to go there one day and learn from, you know, these educators and from the system. Cause I think I've always felt like there's something wrong with the way that we do education. And I think it really started hitting home for me when I was in undergrad. Um, But so, you know, fast forward and, you know, I started teaching and I was teaching intensive English uh, to grad students that get into um, colleges or universities in the States. And then they already have a really good grasp on the English language, but then they just need to kind of you know, take these classes to, to prove how well they can, you know, um, be persuasive in English and how okay. well they can give presentations. And it's just kind of like a level up. And so I did that at a couple of universities and then I got um, a Fulbright scholarship and went to South Africa and taught and did some research there. And I got to meet my family there. And mm-hmm. so I was really supposed to go back to the States after Fulbright, um, but I was there for 10 months and it just changed me. You know, I think we talked a little bit about this before um, we started the podcast, but I, um, yeah, I I mean, I, it felt like I'd stepped out of the matrix and I was like, I don't know if I can ever go back. And so after South Africa, even though most of my experience had been teaching in collegiate levels or community colleges, I, you know, I found this school in Thailand that was like, it was a kindergarten. And I remember my, the person who I was dating at the time was just like, uh, I don't understand how you could throw away your career like this and just go to this like <laughs> local school in Thailand that has nothing to do with what you're doing now. And I was like, when I was in grad school, one of the things I said is like, I want to learn about teaching at all different levels. Like I don't yeah. necessarily feel like I need to just like go to one place and then like you know, get to the very top. I just want to see like, what does teaching look like on the ground in different places around the world? And so this felt like a really great opportunity. And my sister was moving to Thailand as well. And that was like, you know, really cool. Except we didn't know how long Thailand is. (laughs) So we thought that there was going to be, you know, we were going to be really close to each other. And then we ended up being 20 hours away. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) And so I mean, to be fair, she didn't get her placement of where she was going to teach until she got there. Whereas I, I like sought out a school in a very specific place. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just assumed that there, she couldn't be placed that far from me. Um, but yeah, she got placed at the very North, um, on the border of Laos. And, but we did, we ended up seeing each other every two months and it was like really great to be on the same time zone and like talk yeah. and learn yeah. the language together and like go through those, like initial living abroad struggles together. Um, so that was really magical. And then, um, I thought I probably would have assumed that I would stayed in Thailand for a really long time, but just like a series of events happened and I met my partner there and we had a friend partner, (laughs) different than the boyfriend partner, different than the boyfriend. Yeah, no, he and I ended things when he realized I wasn't coming back to the States. Um, I think that That, was really hard. Yeah. (laughs) That's interesting. I was going to ask you if he was from the States because it kind of goes back into, and this is what we were talking about a little bit like that, that mentality of, of living here in America, one that you, you have to have this track, right? Like you've gone to school and you've done the things and now this is what you're going to do. And you must do this for the rest of your life. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, the, the, fir- the first person I was dating in the States. So this is like even further back, like back in like undergrad times. And when I first was starting to go to grad school, you know, this guy and I, we'd been dating on and off for years. And when I like expressed the fact that I wanted to live abroad, his statement was like, okay, you go and I'll stay here. And I was just like, <laughs> you don't even want to try. Like, There's so much into the world to see. Oh and my so gosh. like, I told, I totally understand it now. Like, you know, it's really hard, like yeah. to like, to go outside of your comfort zone. And like, I was raised by two parents who grew up abroad. So oh, okay. for me, it was never something that was like 
unattainable. Like for me, being abroad just meant the same as like going to different places in the States. It just meant like you're getting to experience different things. But like I saw, I saw that as something that I always wanted to do. So like, yeah, any, any person I dated, I always was very upfront with them from the beginning. Like I'm out of here, like I'm getting out. And I don't well, know if I'm coming back. Right. <laughs> and, 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 you know, no, no good or bad either way. Right. But it does give you an idea into a person's mindset. And there's a certain kind of mindset that is open to exploring, you know, and, and seeing what the world has to offer and knowing that there is so much to learn. There is so much to see. And how that can change us as humans, right? And how we interact with the world. And so, um, you know, sorry, they couldn't hang on in there, or be there with you, but it looks <laughs> like you found the person you were meant to be with. And so at least for now, you know, I never say anything is forever anymore. I'm just like, this is great. I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's like what my partner and I say all the time, his name's Lo and like, you know, we feel like the way that we met was so magical and so kind of like destined. Um, but we're so open to the fact that like, we're not in control of what's going to happen, you know, yeah. like, and we've decided we're life partners and we've gotten married and all of those things. And, but anything can happen. And like, yep. we're both so, I think, excited by the fact that life is so, you know, it's so unpredictable as mm-hmm. much as we try as humans to predict everything, like, it's unpredictable, you know, Completely. the only thing. And it's like, if you can go with that flow, if you can ride the waves of the world and like really enjoy each moment and be really present, then it makes those moments so much more rich. And I think what happens when you grow up in a place like the States, yes, you think that, okay, if I do this and this happens, if I do this and this happens, if I do this and this happens. And so you work really hard and you try to mold this life and try to give yourself this security. Mm -hmm. And then anything that happens that like, you know, deviates, it really sends you for a spiral and it really makes it hard for you to be flexible and spontaneous and to like work in that magic of the unknown. And I feel like so, I feel like so much good stuff. Thank you. (laughs) So much good stuff happens in that, in that moment of like, I don't know what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. I don't know where, this is going to come from. And, you know, I don't know. I also grew up moving around a lot. So like, as I've gone through therapy and learned a bunch of stuff, like I really, you know, I I adapted to to chaos a bit and I adapted to the unknown a little bit more. And the resilience level that I have is different from other people. And that that's not a good or a bad thing, but it, but it definitely makes it more difficult to go through difficult things um, and surprising things. And I think that's why when things like what's happening in the States and what continues to happen in the States, that, you know, everyone's nervous systems is completely just on a roller coaster and it's really hard to self-regulate. And it's like, unless you've learned those different techniques to self-regulate yourself, you're going to con- consistently and constantly be at the whims of what kind of society is like, you know, right, taking right. you on versus realizing I have control of none of this except for me, <laughs> except for me and my except body. For me. Yes. Yeah. Which is seen, you know, like, and that can be seen like such a selfish thing, right? To focus on yourself and how, yeah. how you operate in the world. When in fact, that's the, the, the space that we all need to operate from. And this, the, the, America, the U.S. has been, you know, the way I see it, like there's just so much like infused in the ground that we walk on that is that state of chaos. I mean, the country, the way that it was made, the different states, you know, everything about it was comes from a place of chaos. And people don't understand how to work within that. And then, like you said, like, earlier to be able to step outside of your comfort zone, which means again, going back and looking at who am I? How is all of this affecting me? How am I working with all of this? You know, and it's still like coming back to self, coming back to self. People don't know how to deal with that. They don't want to take the time to deal with that. I love that you said therapy because it takes a lot of time to figure out who you are. 
Yeah. And even it's so, it's just so much, um, we're kind of, it's so there's like a paradox of like, we have been taught to be individuals and then we're also taught not to be selfish. So it's like, we're living in this parallel kind of like, you know, we're like racing to the top as an individual to like succeed and be more successful than Mm. others. But then we are criticized when we take time for ourselves or when we actually start to realize, actually, I don't want that thing. I don't want that thing at the top. That thing at the top isn't actually going to bring me the thing that I think it's going to bring me. And I think that's what America does a really good job of is like, they have a great marketing system, you know, like (laughs) they, they, they market to people outside of the U S and they market to people inside of the U S. So everyone is like, vying to get like the American dream. They're vying to get this like, okay, well, once I have this amount of money, I'm going to be super happy and I'm going to be super, I'm going to have time to do this. And I'm going to, and it's like, by the time you get to the thing, you've already conditioned your body to work so hard. There's a reason why so many people, when they get to retirement, actually struggle and find they're depressed when they or get to die. Retirement. Like <laughs> so many people die hundred percent because they've been conditioned to work for happiness instead of understanding that you can be happy and broke like but but broke you know that doesn't mean you know money is great money is able to provide us certain things and you know it's not a bad thing it's not the enemy either but if you're only trying to if you equate happiness Happiness. with the amount of money that you're going to have or the title that you're going to have then you're going to constantly be you know it's like almost like a drug like you have to up your your tolerance gets, you know, increases. So you need the next hit, you need the next, um, that next title, that next, you know, position. And it's, it's just really, it's a really hard cycle to get out of. And so I'm always telling my clients, like, you know, there, I have a friend who's, she's going to start a business. And she was like asking me a little bit about my advice for her as I've just started a business in the last few years. And I was like, really structure your time around you know, how you actually want your time to be at the end of the process versus trying to do it after, After because I see so many people who hustle, hustle, hustle at the beginning of their business stages. And yes, maybe they see a huge amount of like success in that, but it's really hard for them to like scale back and find time to take off even a day of work, you know, or like taking off a week still feels really hard Mm -hmm. for them. Like, and it's like, but that's the whole reason why you went into entrepreneurship or you went into business for yourself. So you could own your time. And it's like, I think that we get this like, okay, I gotta, I gotta grind, grind, grind until I can do the thing. But then we get addicted to the grind. We get addicted to the hustle. Yeah. I certainly had my share of that. And, and now I'm in the process of like, whoa, wait a second, you know, like back it up, you know, and stepping back from especially like social media and all those things too. Okay. I took you off topic, but it was good, (laughs) but it was really good, but we were in Thailand. Oh, (laughs) right. I was asking you like, you know, how you got to (laughs) Bali. (laughs) Okay. So Thailand. So, um, my partner currently low, he was working at a school that was just, it was not the right fit. And so um, we had a friend who had just moved to Vietnam and he called us up and was like, Hey, come to Vietnam. It's like, there's so many jobs here. It's so awesome. Like come and, and Lo and I were just like, you know what, why not? Let's just do it. Let's, right. let's see what happens. And so we went without a job, without anywhere to live. And like, this is the first time I'd ever done anything like that. Like as much as I'm, I say I'm addicted to chaos, like I'm, I'm such a hype, like hyperbole. Is that the right word? I am a, like a, paradox yeah um in terms of like I love planning things like I just so like you know one of the things I used to do all the time was like I would just look for jobs just because even if I was happy in a job like I just would always I always have a plan b or c or d and so this was the first time I would I moved somewhere and did not have a single plan and at first it felt really cute and fun and then like I think a week in I just like my anxiety was like through the roof and low is such a calm and like grounded person and the whole time he's like okay like let's just breathe like we're fine we were staying with friends and they you know we were we had uh we were working for vip kid at the time so we had jobs you know we had like a teaching thing online but it was just like for me this was the first time I wasn't like a full-time employee yeah and I was just like okay this is scary yeah um but it actually ended up being so magical like 
I applied to a few jobs and the process was really um, disconcerting because it was the first time I'd really experienced any racism, racism Mm -hmm. as abroad. Um, And I would like apply for jobs. I get the like phone interview and they'd be like, yeah, basically we want to hire you come in. And I'd go in and they'd be like, oh, sorry. And Uh I'd be like, okay, well, that's interesting. And then I'd find out later, like, you know, we'd be at a bar with friends and I'd find out that, you know, this girl from you know, with no degree, no teaching experience, but she's blonde and blue eyed right. position. And mm. so I was just like, are you serious? So I had to like really work through that and start to trust. And just like, I started manifesting and just being like, okay, what is it that I want? Um, and we were bicycling around this lake and I saw this beautiful school, like right on the lake. And it was like all colorful. And I was like, I want to work there. And Lo was like, okay, we'll just like do it. And so I went back the next day with my resume um, and I, you know, I walked up and I was like, Hey, um, I, I, I would like an interview. And he was like, Oh, you're, he was like, you're here for the interview. And I was like, yes. And he was like, okay. So he like, let me in. And <laughs> you didn't know if they were actually interviewing or not, or did well, you? Well, so I did, but okay. I didn't know that they were like doing interviews that day. And okay. I had applied and never gotten a response to this okay. particular place. So I did actually like apply. But um, so I had all my things and the, the vice principal interviewed me and he was like, this is so great. And he was like, I'm so sorry. Like, I can't see your name anywhere on here though. Like, this was a great interview. And I was like, yeah, well, I applied, but nobody responded. So I just showed up and he was like, okay, well. <laughs> Initiative. Um, and, and so I got the, I got the job and right I was on. teaching as um, um, a social studies uh, and geography teacher in middle school. And I was teaching as a uh English language arts, so kind of like language arts that we would have in the States um, to grade six, seven, and eight, and grade 10 and 12. And it was lovely. I really enjoyed it. It was magical. And before I even got the position, though, like I went to the interview and he was like, I'll get back to you. I, Lo and I went and saw an apartment that was like in walking distance. And I was like, let's just sign the lease. And he was like, let's do it. Let's, let's be magical. Like, let's just assume that you got the job. And so like we signed the lease and then I got the email like 10 minutes later, Hey, you got the position. And it was just like, everything felt so like, I don't know. It was just one of those moments where it was like, it's okay to not have it all figured out at the beginning. Um, yeah. Can I ask you a question? This is from like me as a, as a life coach. Do you remember the feeling like in your body? Because I think that there's this idea of flow that we we often miss because people are very dista- det- detached from their bodies. But can you remember it all? Like those moments of like seeing the school, going in for the interview, signing the, let's sign the lease. Like what were you experiencing in your body? Yeah. So like I said, I was very anxious in that first week. And as I started to like, the first time we saw the school, like there was like this, this feeling of warmth inside of me that felt like, okay, this is, I want to do, I want to be here. I want to Mm -hmm. do this. And I was like, that knowing felt really great. And then it was like, okay, I just want to trust this feeling. So then it was the same with the apartment. It was like, we found the apartment and I was like, I just knew. Um, and I'll, and I don't know how woo-woo you want to get, but I'll talk a little bit more about, like I've been learning a little bit more about um, how we can tell and like how we have different energetics in terms of who we are. And um, and mine is, def- I have an inner knowing when it comes to certain things. Yeah. And so I was starting to follow that, but that was definitely not the first time that I had felt that. So I had recognized it from other times in my yeah. life, yeah. Um, but I don't know if I was aware that that's exactly what it was. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, (laughs) I definitely like now I'm like you, like there were times before that I didn't understand it really. And then like, I remember specifically when I was in this, um, living in the States was visiting in Arizona and like got, was about to get on a plane and like, felt like a tugging in my body. And like, I just knew I was, this is where I was supposed to to be. And like, immediately I like went home, started looking for jobs in in Tucson. It's like, I'm still, it's like January. So I'm still teaching in the States, but called my friend who is a realtor and like, look, come May, this house needs to be on the market, you know, like and was gone by June, you know, I just knew. And it was the best experience that I had, like living in the States. It's still like one of my, my, um, 
heart homes, you know? Um, mm, I love that me. heart home. Yeah. I love that. Um, I so, think, um, I think that feeling we can, yeah, I think you're completely correct about like disassociating from our bodies and like that feeling I could have been so overwhelmed by the fear that yep. I could have missed it yep. or I could have misinterpreted it as, okay, well, what's the point? You know, I'm, you know, I could have just given up and just been like, okay, well, I'm not getting any of the other jobs, yep. so I should just not try. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that, that often happens with people and it has happened to me as well, you know? So yeah. but I'm really grateful that I, I took that opportunity. Okay. So now let's, okay. <laughs> remember when I said, that in grad school I was teaching and we learned about green school. Yes. Okay. So Can you now we're in Vietnam. Real quick, yeah. tell about <laughs> what green school I have looked it up so I know it. But like people that are might be listening, like, you know, we're educators, people, not everybody's going to be an educator and know what green school is. So just real quick, what yeah. is it? So it's a school for sustainability and it started in 2008 by a Canadian man um, who was dyslexic and he really wanted to create a system, a school that like looked different than what he grew up as and like didn't like ostracize him for being dyslexic or like, you know, mm. that could be a safe space. But also he, you know, was super aware of uh, climate change happening. And like, he just felt really kind of fearful about the world that he was leaving for his children and grandchildren. So he wanted to create a school that kind of helped to cultivate that awareness early mm. in kids and help to cultivate empathy for the world, empathy for our you know, local communities, empathy mm. for um, the environment and how to cultivate activism in a way that is sustainable. And okay. so, um, and yeah, so that's basically in a nutshell and it has a nursery program, like a preschool all the way up until grade 12. Okay. Um, I, I think recently they started developing like gap year programs as well, but um, I worked there in the middle school. And okay. so I got, I got an, I was on their email list since that time in grad school. And okay. so every so often I would look and I just would always feel like, ah, I don't have enough qualifications or I haven't been teaching enough or, you know, I'm not ready yet. I yeah. was always, whenever I would see the emails. And so um, my husband and I were in our apartment and we hadn't gotten married yet, but we were in our apartment in Vietnam. And like, I promise you, this was like, it was, we just loved it. We were, we were becoming vegetarian. We were like walking to work and bicycling all the mm. time. I was going to like, two writers uh workshops a week and I was painting every other week and it was just like it felt like such a flow space yeah. and we were just like this is this is great like and he um was really kind of turned off in the classroom from his experience in Thailand so he was doing non-traditional things so he was like volunteering in a library and he was you know working with engineers and he nice. was just like doing really cool stuff and we were still doing VIP kid and so we were making a good amount of money. And we were like, this is great. And then I get the email from green school. And like, I was just like, do, do, do. And I was just like, Oh, look, baby, it's the exact same position that I have right now. It's like teaching social studies and literacy to these specific grades. And I was like, should I apply? Like, we're really enjoying life here right now. And he's like, I mean, you know, you've always talked about this place. Like, right. why not just see? Right. And I was like, yeah, but I never said I wanted to teach there. I just wanted to go and learn there, like observe, you know? And he was just like, just see, you know, worst thing happens is you don't hear back or whatever. Right. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I apply and a week later I get the job, <laughs> which <laughs> is ridiculous because at least at that point, the like job application process was six months, okay. but somebody had just like pulled out at the last ah, minute. So they were looking for somebody. And so know. it, it was like, it happened so quickly. It was like, I got the job and we moved in the next month and it was just like, <laughs> we moved to Bali. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And has it been equally as magical? It has, but in such different ways, okay. I feel like I say this to people, especially people who've been here because they really understand. I feel like Bali is such an intangible beauty. Mm. Um, it's, you can see the rice fields and they're gorgeous, but yes. it's not really something you go and engage in, you know? And um, the, the people here are the most magical and spiritual and kindest people you'll ever meet, but you're not gonna know about their personal lives. They're not gonna let you in in that way. Okay. Um, and so it was hard for me and Lo when we first moved here because the other places we had lived in, we felt we were really engaged in the local community. And so here 
it felt like we were always on the outskirts okay. and we lived in really local towns. So we were really far away from the touristy parts of Thailand. Right. And I was really far away from the touristy parts of South Africa. And, you know, he lived in Kuwait where there's not really a tourism like right. industry there. So we didn't really, we actually had like culture shock a bit about how touristy it can be here. And it really took us a few years to find our footing in terms of um, our lifestyle. Um, in some ways it was like, oh, this is so cool. We've been away from the States for so long. There's so many like cafes that feel like you're in the States and like you can get every food cuisine that you think of. Whereas like yeah. in Thailand, I mostly only ate Thai food unless we were feeling really fancy and we spent a lot of money and we like had to travel to Bangkok, you know? So it wasn't like, you know, it was just, that was hard to kind of navigate. And then, um, it felt like the Chonggu area, which is like, um, close to the school and where a lot of the teachers lived, they all were like surfery and party. And then it felt yeah. like Ubud was like super spiritual and super hippie. And we were like, we felt like we kind of fit both, but we yeah. didn't fit either enough. So it felt like we didn't really know where our tribe was. Um, and so, yeah, it, it took a lot of getting used to, but we loved working at the school. And okay. so the first six months, Lo didn't have a job there. And he was kind of like doing some of the similar stuff that he was doing in um, Vietnam, where just kind of exploring and getting to know people and networking. But then the school eventually actually created a position for him. Nice. And so he started working there. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a magical experience. I, you know, I moved up in there. I was on the board. I was the coordinator of the middle school for a little while. Um, but then I had an accident and that kind of shook my world in terms of, uh, what I wanted, where I felt like my trajectory was taking me in terms of career and life. Okay. Um, so yeah. Okay. All right. Now you mentioned, um, family in Africa. So you grew up in the States, is that right? Yes. I grew up, I was born in Utah and then I grew up in Durham, North Carolina. Okay. All right. And at some point in college, is that right? You were in Africa, you got to be and meet your family. So my cousin who we grew up together those first few years in Utah, um, my dad and her dad got track scholarships to BYU from South Africa and BYU is Brigham Young University and it's in Utah. And that's where my mom met my dad. And then, so they, um, yeah, so we knew each other for the first few years of my life. And then, you know, fast forward years later, I didn't have an, a relationship with my father and I didn't even, know, I didn't even remember this cousin. Um, and she found me on Facebook when, okay. when I was in college. And so I went to Canada where she now lives with her, with her dad and her siblings. And I got to meet all of them. And then they put me in contact with my biological father. And we talked about me coming to visit him. And he told me I had a brother. And then, um, so that was a huge, like pivotal moment for me. I was learning different things about him that I never knew. And it was just like really cool to like see some of my culture. Like my, yeah. my uncle had like South African flags and like, you know, I was just learning some of the language and like they were making me the food and we went to like this, this musical because there's a, a, a big South African population in Vancouver where they live. And so it was just really cool. And it was the first time outside of like things that my mom had told me and like little bit of research that I did that I got to like feel that kind of um, that connection to my roots. Um, but then the following year, my biological father passed away. So okay. I didn't get a chance to actually meet him. Okay. Um, and that was a really big, like pivotal moment for me. I had, you know, like a mental breakdown. I failed my first class. I, you know, I, at that time in college, I was the homecoming queen, the head of the, um, the RAs, which is the resident advisors of housing. I was the head of the orientation staff. I was just like hustling hard and this happened and it just broke me sure and you. I couldn't. So I just like, I stepped away from all of those things. And then it wasn't until I did Fulbright in 2014. So like five years later that I was able to go and meet my brother, met a sister. I didn't know I had meet all of my, like my family members. They had this like 50 person welcome home party where we had shirts mm. and like, it was just, we went to my biological father's grave and we, there was music and dancing and food. And it was, it was really beautiful. 
it was, it was really magical. What did that do for you? So I'll preface this by saying, like, I didn't grow up with my biological father either. And, um, it was much later, um, in my life and well into adulthood in my forties that I actually like had conversations with him and Mm. got to understand in some ways, like who I am, like, you know, I always felt like for me, at least I felt like I didn't really belong in the family that I'm so different than a lot of my family. And so when I started talking to him, it was like, oh, click, 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 you know? And so I'm curious, like what, what finding this side of your fam, of you, you know, what did that do for you? Or how did that make you feel? What did you learn about yourself or? Yeah, I think the 2008 college experience was so shocking because it was just like something I'd never, I almost kind of pushed myself away from wanting to know. Mm-hmm. So the influx felt almost like, like, no, 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 like system overload, system overload. Yeah. And then it was like, after he passed, it was almost like this click and like, I pushed away that opportunity to get to know him better or to like understand that part of myself. And so there, there became this like, deep yearning from that point on of like, I want to know. And so I was very intentional when I applied for Fulbright to go to South Africa. I put in my, my essay, like part of the reason why I want to go is to connect with my family. And so going felt like a piece of me that I felt I didn't realize was missing, Mm. was like being filled. And just, there was this like sense of understanding that there's so much more depth to my ancestry that I never knew about. And, you know, I'm still to this day learning about things about my family. That is just like, it's powerful. It's magical. And like Mm. being connected to such deep roots and deep, you know, you know, um, just culture traditions and beliefs is just, it's really cool to like understand that and uncover that. And then also to be loved by all of these people who I never knew was just like, it felt really nice and really welcoming. And I'd always had a big family in the States as well. Like my mom's side is super huge and I'm super close to, um, who was my, my mom's second husband, who I call my dad now, like I'm super close with his family and all of those cousins and things, but it just, it was a different type of, um, a different type of knowing and being seen in a way that like, you know, I didn't, didn't know that I, I needed to feel. Mm, That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So I want to get into your writer and I wanted to talk some about that. Um, I'm, I'm really curious about writers because I, one, I, there's some writing that I like have in my head that I want to do. And I'm like, trying to figure out how do you do this? Like, how do I start? You know, like I've always kept journals and I'm always writing and doodling things, but like, how do you like, how do I do this like <laughs> thing that's like called writing, you know? So like, talk to me about what you, about writing, how you got into it and what you do and yeah. So, I mean, as a kid, I always loved like writing stories and drawing out things. And I just love the art of story. So, you know, I think one of my favorite um, movies at the time when I was a kid was Grease and we got like the, I don't know, some like anniversary edition. Yes, girl. Yes. <laughs> love Grease. <laughs> yes. So we got this like anniversary edition of the movie and it came with the script. Like, I don't know why oh. or how, but like, I like took the script and I was like getting everybody in the neighborhood. Cause we lived in apartments, like to be the different people. And I was like directing them, and I, but I was like changing the lines and I was like, okay, no, no. Like you want to make it fit to who you are as a person. You know, I was just like, right. I just was always super in invested in storytelling. And so, but then, you know, life happens like, you know, puberty happens and all of the different things that were happening in like undergrad and like understanding, like I was hustling hard. So I didn't really have space to do any personal writing. I barely kept a journal. Okay. Um, but then living in South Africa, um, actually in DC after undergrad, I lived in DC with my grandparents and I started going to this writing group and it was just like all of these, like you know, I think they were in their like mid thirties and they were all white males and they all were super into sci-fi and like 
they all had like written novels. Meanwhile, like I had like jotted down a story on a napkin when I was a hostess at a restaurant and I like typed it all up and brought it to them. And they were like, okay, this is a good start, but like, uh, you know, yeah. we need to like do all these things. And it was just super intimidating. And like, so I only went a few times, but I really enjoyed it. And it was the first time I'd done writing outside of school. And so, and outside of journaling. And then I don't know what happened, but like, I just stopped. And then it was in South Africa. I was living with my housemates. They were also in the Fulbright program with me. And we had a lot of really great, like creative activities that we would do. Like we all were reading the same books and we were, we would like do like little mini workshops with each other. And one of our um, housemates was like, I'm going to do this three-day writing challenge, like novel writing challenge. And we were like, that sounds fun. So we were like, we're going to do it too. Um, We bought snacks. One of our roommates, she decided to be like our little like gift fairy so like throughout the three days she was like going to like give us little treats and gifts if we like got to like certain <laughs> certain points so we were like we like built forts and we had music and it oh was my just, like gosh. really beautiful it was really magical and it was great and that was where like the novel that I'm still writing to this day it like was birthed that idea okay. for it so that's when I started being like wait actually I could be something more than just enjoying like stories maybe I can tell stories so um I didn't really do much more with it after that um because I moved to Thailand and I was like you know getting immersed into that culture but I was journaling and blogging a lot for my family and friends so they could see like what my experience was Mm -hmm. and I always was getting messages like wow you're like your writing style is really great like I'd love to like learn more you should write a book Um, And so I was talking to one of my colleagues in Thailand and we were both just talking about how we both felt like something was missing in terms of community. And we were like, well, how do we, how do we like, you know, bond or like get to know each other that's outside of like going to the bars and drinking. And so we started having writer's nights and we had writer's Mm -hmm. nights and it just started as the two of us. um, And we created like these really ridiculous prompts and we had timers and food and then people started coming and joining us and, you know, we started sharing them on our blogs and we just like, we found that that was such a like cathartic way to connect with people. Um, even when you're writing fiction, you can see and learn about people based off of their writing style. And you can learn about, you know, the, like the demons they're trying to work through okay. based off of the stories that are coming out, you know, and then I started listening to the artist way by Julia Cameron. I she love that. Like, Yes. She's the godmother of all creativity. And uh-huh. she, um, I was listening to it as an audiobook because I was walking to and from work. And so I didn't have like yet a journaling practice. Okay. So I started voice noting myself, my uh, like morning pages on right. the walk. And that was such a like, especially, I don't think I had realized how much trauma I had been through in my life. Okay. And I didn't realize how much of it was permeating through my interactions with people and my way of trusting and my way of like, you know, my decision-making and like when I was listening to my intuition or not. And Mm -hmm. after doing these morning pages and starting to listen to them, because she suggests that you listen to them after two weeks, I started seeing patterns that I never would have seen if I hadn't taken the time to like slow down and look at them. Mm -hmm. So it just started becoming like a necessary thing for me. So that was the birth of my journaling practice. And then from then on, you know, it also was kind of the birth of like me really understanding my, my patterning in terms of manifesting and my patterning in terms of connecting with people and like learning my gifts and different things like that, because you could see it on the page, you know, I would say like, oh, I think this might happen. And then two weeks later it does. And you're like, okay, interesting. And then when it doesn't, you know, I can like pinpoint to the day where my limiting beliefs are so loud and I'm not doing anything to like rewrite those. So it's Mm -hmm. like, you can start to get to know yourself a lot better. So I think Mm -hmm. that my journey of like self-love began through that as well, because I started becoming more compassionate with myself because I saw how mean I was being to myself on the page as well. Right. (laughs) Yeah. It's so interesting how hard we can be on ourselves, right? We say things to ourselves that we would never say to anybody else in our lives, you know, and we, and, and we don't even see it, right. We don't even see it as that. And this idea that you're talking about of, um, limiting beliefs and manifesting like together, can you say a little bit more about that? And, and, and I'll just say too, (laughs) like, 
you know, this journaling thing, I've seen that work in my life too. And I had never really called it manifesting, right? I just, I knew that I had like, you know, 10 years before I owned the yoga studio, I had drew out this whole picture of what I wanted my yoga studio to look like. And then 10 years, that's what I got, right? Like, and, and six years before I moved to Panama, I had wrote in my journal about this place that I was wanting to live and do. And then six years later, there it was, you know? And so to me, it was just writing and saying and speaking out to the universe. This is what I, I want, you know? So talk, can you talk to us about like manifesting and <laughs> yes. Um, so I think I've always been kind of in touch with like this more magical side. Um, mm. I've had an overactive imagination as people called it when I was younger. And, um, you know, we had a, an interesting like childhood where there was a lots of change always. And so like that brought up a lot of like insecurities around safety. And so, mm. you know, I was always cultivating safe spaces for myself in different ways. And so I think that manifestation is, is something that we all do. I think it's just our awareness of it and our practice of it. Okay. Um, I think it's like, like, let's say you're walking down the street and something heavy rolls in front of you and it's like blocking your path. You can probably pick it up, but you might be strained to do it. Mm -hmm. But if you've been practicing, maybe you've been going to the gym every day and you work out all the time, you'd pick it up without even thinking about it. And it would not take you as long as somebody who's just walking down the street and it just happens to pop in front of them. So I think of manifestation in that way. I think it's a muscle that we all have. Okay. And some of us are intentionally learning how to cultivate it and make it more like stronger. Yep. And some of us aren't. And, and the same with working out, you know, when we're in the gym, you know, you wouldn't go into the gym and just start lifting a hundred kg, you know, <laughs> or sorry, a hundred pounds. I've been living abroad. That's so okay. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't, you would start with like five pounds first, you know, right. and then you'd incrementally work your way up. So I think a lot of times um, the misconceptions and misunderstandings of manifestation is people are just like, okay, if I write it down, it's going to happen. Boom. And it's like, well, in some cases it might, but then you have to start looking at what your limiting beliefs are. So, you know, if I say I would like, um, a house by the beach and a pool, and I've never seen anyone who looks like me or, you know, anyone with my job or, you know, like I've, I've never seen anyone like me have that, then right. it's going to be way harder for me to believe first that that can happen. And then two, it's going to be way harder for me to find the route to get there. I yeah. will still probably find it, but it might take me a really long, long time. time. Yep. But if I've been practicing, you know, like manifesting and I've been practicing listening to my limiting beliefs and maybe my limiting belief is, um, well, it might be too expensive to do that. Okay. So now I, my limiting belief could be valid, but do I actually know, like, have I actually even looked up to see how much houses are by the beach? And also does it need to be the expensive beach, the beach where all the other tourists are right. like, and it's, so it's actually just being, it's actually way more tangible than people think manifestation isn't, I think it's more of like a science, you know, it's more of just like, it's just saying, or in, I think in like the business world, they just call it mindset. It's the same thing. Yep. You know, it's like, it's saying like, okay, well, what are actually all of the obstacles in my way of getting to this thing? And then how can I slowly, you know, chip away at one at a time versus trying to manage all of it. And so right. I think manifestation kind of works like that. So one of my limiting beliefs, um, for a really long time about writing was like, well, you know, you're not really good at spelling and like grammar, your grammar sucks. Mm -hmm. And something that helped me with that was like, I can pay somebody to edit my stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like <laughs> People do like, it all why, the time. <laughs> why am I worried about that? And right. also like, there's nothing to edit unless I write it down. So like yeah. write out the bad ah, write the crap. <laughs> you got to write before you edit. <laughs> you have to write. And like that sensor of like, the sensor is something also that like, I think we call it like ego or sensor or um, the critic, the inner critic. We like 
we vilify it often, but I think if we like really zoom out, we see that it's trying to protect us. So if we get to the root of where that first came from, where did that idea come from? A lot of times it didn't come from us. We learned it by either witnessing someone we care about go through it, or, you know, we had a teacher who told us something that we now have written into our rules of the way the world works. And so whatever rules we have decided are real, usually manifest into our life. And so we can fit into the rules that we've created. And then it's just remembering that we are the ones that wrote those rules and we can rewrite them. Yeah. I was just listening to um, the On Being podcast and she had Adrian Marie Brown on there. Um, Okay. Do you know, you know her? And she said, um, I'm going to totally like butcher it, Mm -hmm. but it was something around um, the idea of we are living in someone else's imagination and their reality. And we have the power to create our own reality through our imagination. And I was like, boom, you know, like, yes, it's true. It's so true. true. And that's where so many of these like limiting beliefs come from, right? It's because of all this outside other that we have been, that's been put on us. You know, I often say like, just like that idea of, again, the, 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 the steps that you're supposed to go through to get somewhere, because by any, by those standards right now, I've like gone backwards, right? Like I had the career, I had the things right. Owning a studio. And then I went and taught yoga on a beach for 10 months. And now I'm like in Colorado, like helping friends with their baby and their land, you know, and like, but, but the other thing is my joy is off the charts. Like the way that I feel in my body on a daily basis is just the most amazing thing. And I wouldn't give it up for the world. Right. I would never give it up at this point, like, and go back to, and I'm in the flow of it all. Like, right. Like things happen and I'm not worried about it. The door opens and the next thing walks through and I'm just like, okay, let's go. You know? And I like the idea too, what you were saying earlier about like being in chaos, but you also said several times, like seeing what happens, you know, let's just see what will happen, you know, but also there's a plan. So people often say to me, how do you do that? And I'm like, well, I'm being very open, but also once I figure out where I'm going, I got some steps that are happening here you yeah. know, to, to make that happen. So um, anyways, Adrian Marie, if you haven't listened to that, that podcast yet, it was, I think it was the latest one. Um, okay. I'll I, definitely um, bookmark that. For she's sure. just, she's amazing. The things that she's talking about in there, I was just like, oh, I need to bookmark and write these down and listen to it on a walk one day. So I would definitely suggest you also listen to Lacey Phillips podcast expanded. That's where I think I started having the right language for myself in terms of how I've always felt about manifestation and limiting beliefs. Okay. Um, and I've, and she has like some really cool workshops that help you work through like inner child and okay. unlock shadow and just like really helping you to get to the root of maybe why manifestation isn't working for you and like what, what's holding you back and where is the root of it coming from? Okay. Lacey Phillips. Yeah. Okay. I will check her out. So, um, I want to start wrapping us up a little bit, but you have traveled a lot. Like you have been to a lot of different places and I'm curious, um, like what you could say is like, I don't know, there's probably several things, but like about like lessons that you've gathered for yourself about Mm. living outside of the U.S. Because I, I said that I've said this to people, to friends, that the 10 months that I spent in Panama was like a laser jet of growth for me. Yeah. As a, as a human. Um, and that I couldn't have got to the places that I got am, that I'm in right now if I had stayed here in the United States. I am back, and I'm working to keep that what that like feeling and that mindset because there's yeah. some stuff going on here that is just 
hard um, to yeah. live with and, and, and see. So what would you say like are lessons or something that you would, that you've gathered from your time away? I think, I think the first thing is that no other place is as scary as we make it seem. Um, I think one of the biggest things that always like the first question, didn't matter where I was moving, even if sometimes when I was moving to place in the States, people would be like, oh, but that's like one of the scariest places <sighs> in the world, or it's so dangerous. And I think, yeah. I think that we, and this, I don't want to sound alarmist, but I think that we have this false sense of security in the States that doesn't exist. And that it's actually not a bad thing to be aware that at any moment, something can happen to change yep. your life. And that could completely disrupt your way of being. And I think that once we get okay with that, we can actually live much more fulfilling and enriching lives because that fear of change and that fear of all these, th all these things that I've material things that I've, um, you know, collected or I've, I've, I've worked really hard for could be taken away from me. That fear keeps us from so many things. It keeps us from, you know, even moving to a different house in, in the same neighborhood because we're like, oh, well, I'll have to downsize or, oh, like the process will be so hard. And it's like, I don't know. It's just, I think there's something around this, this sense that you know, out there is more scary than here. Right. And I think the, I think America is actually starting to see that a lot more, like everywhere can be scary. And everywhere. it's just about how can I, <laughs> how can I cultivate a lifestyle for myself? And again, going back to that, like that nervous system, like finding ways to self-regulate and still be able to cultivate joy in moments of sadness or yes. despair or, you know, and recognizing the, you know, the finiteness of things like, like, you know, time isn't infinite and resources aren't infinite, but we can enjoy the things that we have when we have them, but they aren't necessary for us to have the joy. I don't know yep. if that makes sense. It makes, well, <laughs> it makes sense to me. And I just, I, I, I believe that, you know, like you were talking about America is this great marketeer. America is also really good at making us fearful. Like they, yeah. they create a sense of fear in everything and it, it's in our independence as well. They give you this false sense of like, you are, you have all this independence, but also there's this underlying pervasive, like fear that just runs through and it keeps us from doing the things. And the truth is like anything could, you know, you could be walking down the street and my bus, my friend always says, well, the bus didn't hit me today, you know, because yeah, it's fast. It could. You know, like 100%. Right. And so do we live our lives in that fear or do right. we live our lives just looking like I, I woke up today and it's a fucking miracle that I woke up. Thank you. Blessed be. We and are let, here. Let yeah. me go. You know, <laughs> so I, I totally um, get that. Okay. So fear was one. Anything fear. else? Um, I think the other one is, um, and this is kind of from Afro minimalist. I don't know if you know who she is, but, um, her name's Christine. I can't remember her last name, but I really love her book and, um, her Instagram account is awesome. Um, but this like idea of Afro minimalism and just less is more, mm -hmm. um, and like kind of going back into the first thing we were talking about, but like, you know, all of this stuff that we have yes. is actually, like creating a prison for us that we don't even realize. And so when you have less stuff, you have less things being like that you're attached to, which yep. allows you to kind of like move a little bit more freely. And I really love her way of looking at minimalism because um, it, it never really resonated with me because I do love splashes of color. And like, you know, I love like bringing in like my roots and my, my history and like, and so she really looks at it as like, how can you get rid of all of the things that you don't need or don't bring you that joy, yeah. that like deep in your body joy that like, when you look at it, I'm like, I freaking love that thing, you know? And so like, that's okay to have. And so it's like, it's not saying that we can't have things because like, that's okay. Like we're working to create things. Art is a beautiful thing, but it's just really getting to that conditioning and saying like, 
do I have this thing because something told me in like an advertisement or because my friends have it or it has a status like, or do I have this thing because every time I look at it and use it, I get lit up, Yep. you know, and it's kind of like giving you tools to work through that. And I find that most, not most that is, um, over generalizing, but a lot of cultures really just have their, the things that they need and they're a lot happier. Yeah. Yeah. I know. That was one thing that I learned being away is just that, you know, for one, it's like where I was anyways, you know, it's two hours to get to a decent city to, to kind of buy anything. And so you get used to kind of just having what you, you need really. And you do, you do get things sure, but it's not like Amazon's not delivering you next day service, you know? And so it's, it, it, it becomes easier and you realize that you really don't need all the stuff. And that's yeah. not, like you said, that's not where the joy comes from anyways. And yes, we have those things that, that are special to us, you know, and, but, you know, do I really need a blender and a Vitamix and a, um, a bullet <laughs> thing, you know, like <laughs> probably not. Yeah. <laughs> I would say my third thing, I have a third thing. Okay. And I think that another thing that we think is super important in America, or at least I've seen in more like suburban places or places where people are very, you know, you grow up there and you stay there and like, that's, that's it. Um, you, you see this less in like places like New York city or Atlanta, where it's yeah. a little bit more transient. It's a little bit more like diverse, but this like idea of, you know, no new friends or, you know, like you've been my friend since like kindergarten and like those things I think are really special and magical also and I don't want to discredit those but I do think that there is something so magical and potent in meeting new people at any stage in life and being open and being Mm. vulnerable with them Mm -hmm. and like you just don't know what gifts people have to give you until you open your mouth and tell them what you're going through because I think there's this fear that like oh well I can't tell I can't tell anybody my dream or I can't tell any, cause they're going to like, they're going to steal it or like, yes. or they're going to like downplay it. And I think there is some, there is some validity to if you're with the wrong people and they yep. speak negativity into your situations, 100%. But I do think that we just automatically assume that <sighs> everyone's out to get us. And it's yeah. like the, the amount of times I've just told people that I'm just meeting and I'm just connecting with for the first time a dream of mine. And they then become integral parts in helping me reach it. Yes, like, yes, 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 like, yes, yes. That is something I feel like I've learned way more being abroad. I definitely practiced it in the States, but it was less like it was less common. But now I, I see everywhere around me, all the people I meet are all doing the same thing. And we're all moving around and like interacting and word of mouth and like helping everyone wants to help each other out. It feels so much more like we are in this together. This is a collective. We are a species together trying to navigate being on this planet versus, you know, we're all, you know, I have to get this and I can't tell you that I'm going for this promotion because, you know, it's just, that's not, I feel like the way it has to be. (laughs) Right. Well, it goes back to what you were saying about fear though. Right. And that's just prevalent here because, and I'm, I'm working to, to, to have that here, but I definitely like quickly had that in Panama, you know, like the women and the community of women that I found there are just, everybody's just supportive period. You know, we talk openly, honestly about pretty much everything. And it just feels really, really beautiful. And to use your word because you've used it, which I love magical, you know, like (laughs) it's, it's, um, it's, that's really sweet. So thank you for, for mentioning that. Um, and maybe just, you know, if people just hear that and will even try to implement that into their lives just a little bit, you know, right. Like it takes just a little bit. Yeah. I want to be, I want to help cultivate more magic in the world for sure. (laughs) I'm all for it. I'm on that bus, on that magic bus. (laughs) Well, Esther, thank you so much. This has been um, just a joy. I um, 
I, I want to talk more to you just because <laughs> I feel like so many things that you mentioned, I would also really love um, to like know all the changes that you made to Greece, just because <laughs> it was such a, a, a integral part of like, not integral, but something that I loved growing up too. So that movie was fun. <laughs> Maybe um, we can do a little writing exercise together. We can, yeah. Like, create our own version. Yeah. Well, and I, I might have to reach out just in general and find out some, some information from you about writing. Cause I really do. I don't think I know where to start, you know, and, and that leads yeah. me to like other, like, are you helping people like with that in your coaching? Is that what you coaching that you do? Yeah. So I do, um, something called intuitive coaching, okay. um, where I'm, I mix in things that have to do with writing and creativity, leadership and education, and also wellness and mindset. And so, you know, if your focus is on only one of those, we'll, we'll do that 100%, but it will always usually bleed back into mindset and wellness, um, and, you know, becoming the leader of your own life and that kind of stuff. So it kind of all mingles together, but yes, I am a coach and I am on, I do indefinite sabbaticals. So I'm on a sabbatical season right now until okay. September but I have a waiting list. So okay, that is, that is there for people if they're, if they're interested and I can definitely send you um, some, some writing resources for journaling. Okay. Sure. Wonderful. Well, I'll put all the information about you and where people can find you in the show notes, but um, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Thank you. thank you so much for having me on and for being such a wonderful facilitator and asking really, really great questions. Thank you to everyone that was listening to this conversation with Esther Malanzi. If you're interested in learning more about Esther, you can head on over to her website, which I've included in the show notes, along with some of the offerings that she has currently. Thank you for listening to The Wisdom of Wandering and Wondering. If you enjoyed the show, it would be a great help to me, a newbie to podcasting, if you would rate and review the show wherever you're listening, something about algorithms, and to recommend the show and share it with others would be a big help too. It is my sincerest hope that these conversations help each of us to know that we aren't alone in the world. Life is not linear. It's messy and crazy and also beautiful and magical. Until next time, be kind, be well, be loved.